This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Brightspot Content Management System enables marketers to launch in just 100 days. It efficiently manages marketing campaigns on mobile apps or updates investors on your corporate site, handling it all seamlessly. With over 100 plus different content types and templates, marketers can deliver a customized, relevant experience to your audience. Additionally, integrate your current marketing automations platform and SEO recommendations directly from your Brightspot content management system, simplifying tool management. Discover more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron, as always. Super excited to introduce. This is a really interesting one because we've had this epic, brilliant marketing leader on before. Now she is on another rocket ship that I can't wait to tell you all about. But let me tell you who Carol Carpenter is from from what I know so far. So Carol Carpenter is currently the Chief Marketing Officer at Unity. She's also served in marketing leadership roles, CMO at VMware, executive at Google Cloud, ClearSide, Trend Micro. Um, she's also worked CEO of Elastic Box and VP of Marketing at Tumbleweed. Incredible background, uh, product at Apple. Uh, and not to mention, she's got a, a BA in economics from Stanford and an MBA from Harvard Business School. So Carol, when I when I read that stuff and I see that stuff, I just hear growth. I just see Carol equals growth. So thank you for being here for round two of Marketing Trends. We're so stoked to have you. Welcome back. Thank you, Jeremy. It's great to be here. Super excited. And also, by the way, happy birthday to you. Thank you. Yeah, it feels good to be 30 again. Yeah, that's right. I love it. I love it. Well, I know for a fact that you could do a lot of things on your birthday. And the fact that you made an appearance on our show for the second time, it's just an honor. So happy B-Day. And I'm excited to dive in. Um, tell us about Unity. For folks who don't know about Unity, explain kind of your role as CMO there and talk about what does Unity do and what do you do there as CMO? So Unity is a real-time 3D company. We help companies in the area of games, industry, professional artistry and film, and as well with um, monetizing their applications. So we have a really broad portfolio that's all based upon this real-time 3D engine. It is an incredible place to be because we have creators who are using our engine to make amazing games like Among Us or Second Dinner to Mercedes-Benz, who is developing their next uh, 2024 line of cars with the human-machine interface that's powered by Unity. So we span a variety of industries, and at the core, it's all this real-time 3D engine, which uh, I think unleashes so much capability. The world is definitely moving from 2D to 3D. Big time. So what led you, because last time we had you on, you were leading marketing at, at VMware, super, I mean, another exploding growth company. We've had a few executives on our other shows from VMware. Um, what led you to become the CMO of Unity? Talk about that transition. Yeah, it was definitely not what I was looking to do at the time. There were three reasons. One is this opportunity. 
the world is moving from 2D to 3D. I think when we look around us, we live our lives in 3D. And yet most content, I'd say maybe 15, 8, 20% is in 3D. And there's just this explosive opportunity where more and more content is 3D. Mm. To the people, uh, John, our CEO and the leadership team and the team here are just, John's incredibly visionary and persuasive and I think that's one one thread I've had in my career is I am always a sucker for a great story and because uh, that's what marketing is. We're storytellers. And so he he's very persuasive and just explained to me how the the potential of what people and companies can do with real-time 3D, we're just at the starting line. And then the three, mm-hmm. the third reason is really tied to all of that, which is, I mean, just incredible technology. Because, you know, when you work in a tech company, it's important that the core has mass and we have mass out the what here. <laughs> I love it. So, okay. So you, you've held, you've held executive leadership roles at some big brands, Carol, that tells me that you understand velocity and growth and scale and like in a real meaningful way, you know, you, you were at VMware, you came over to unity. You've been at unity, I think just over a year now. Is that right? Yeah, it's about a year. Okay, and, just about a year. Yeah, year and five okay. months. Yeah. So you know your perspective as an executive marketing leader is interesting because you you've held these C level roles before. As you're ta- take us to the kind of the beginning of Unity, kind of coming in now. You have all this deep experience at Google and VMware, and you have a lot of executive leadership experience, and you have this relationship with velocity and growth. What was your approach when you first, you know, jumped in the first 90 days at Unity? What are you doing now? Because you have different experience than a lot of other CMOs. You bring a lot to the table. What did you identify in your first 90 days? Do, do you kind of have a, a, a Carol playbook of like, okay, when I come into an org as a CMO, I follow this framework, I do these things. Talk us through your kind of assessment of the opportunity, jumping in. And what did you do your first 90 days as CMO at Unity? Okay, I have to think back a little bit, but yes, um, I, I did have a specific approach, and it's interesting because prior to joining, I definitely was more biased by my experience at VMware, where I think when I left the company was around twelve over twelve billion of revenue. Google Cloud, when I left Google Cloud, it was on a run rate of twelve and a half billion. So these are scaled global organizations with broad and deep portfolios, and so my preference coming in and my bias was definitely to start with, it's always to start with the customer, but it it kind of different here. And, And what I mean by that is we sell to other businesses. We sell to game makers, game studios. We sell to businesses who want to build digital twins to run their businesses more efficiently and filmmakers like they're businesses, but they're a different type of business. They're more akin in some ways, to small and mid-sized businesses. So yes, we have enterprise accounts, but the whole enterprise playbook, I had to to modify coming in. Because when you're at a pure enterprise company, when you go talk to customers, you're talking to your economic buyers, usually first and foremost. Then you're talking to your users. I had to flip that. So I came in and I'm like, you know, I want to talk to some game studios and I want to talk to Dyson, who's a customer. Mm. But then what I realized is so much of the buying decision is still driven. It's a little more SaaS-like, in fact, right? It's driven bottoms up. And so how do we, you know, 
who do we talk to first and who do we put emphasis on? And it's much more about like an enterprise software. Let's face it. You're selling a dashboard most of the time because you're selling really complicated infrastructure or software that's pretty nuanced. And, oh, Mrs. Economic Buyer, let me show you the dashboard of how you're going to have more control, speed, productivity, yada, yada, yada. Here, it's like, no, it's actually the users who influence the community who influences the decision far more. And it's about not showing the outcomes, but the process and the workflow. So much of what we offer is around the workflow to create the game, to create the film, to create your digital twin. And so I had to change that orientation around my customer insights, right? And so mm. that was a new learning. The second thing is um, I've been pretty fortunate. I've worked on several open source projects and been on the marketing side of those open source projects so working really closely with evangelism teams. It's really what, what I found different is the community around something like Kubernetes and the community around a game engine, the level of passion, both positive and super negative, because it, it, it swings both ways, is 10x. 10x what you would find in, you know, an open source project that's kind of community led, but corporate influenced. And there's a difference there. So I came in and I said, okay, we're going to talk to customers, realized, oh, we have to talk to different customers. Oh, we need to talk to the community. Oh, the community is actually really different. And then the third piece that's a little bit different from, you know, when you're leading the marketing charge at a large established company, yes, high growth, all of that new, new category building, but a unity, you know, this company was founded by three guys who are trying to build trying to build a, a game, actually, a video, you know, a video game. And then they ended up like, oh, well, actually what we built to build our game is actually something we should offer to other people. So there's a really strong, in addition to like all companies have a, a vision and a mission, it's a sense of purpose. And yes, every company has values, but the, our values emanate so much from these three guys in Denmark where there's a little more of a social democratic flavoring to everything of, oh my gosh, we want everyone to be able to build a game, not just the few who go to school and are educated. Or, you know, we bought a company, um, we bought Wet, Wet a Digital, which is our, the, all the technological tools behind all of Peter Jackson's great creations, mm. Lord of the Rings, Avatar, et cetera. And we bought it not to continue to offer these very high-end digital tools to this very slim segment of the market, but to make them easier to use and to make them so that you and I can create blue people. Mm, mm. I love that. Would it be fair to say that when you joined the company, I mean, they were already on, there already a lot of growth was happening when you joined, right? Yes. Oh yes. It was okay. chaotic okay. though. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so on kind of on that, on that tip is like, you know, um, and I have a lot of conversations with executive leaders who, who talk about, you know, managing growth and, and that, and the velocity there. How, how do you approach that? Like, how do you approach coming into this? Well, A, you have A, the world is changing rapidly. That's just a fact. B, you're inserting yourself right in the middle of unity, which is this, 
you know, rocket ship that is certainly not slowing down, that needs a lot of support. How do you view like getting to understand the growth and getting your kind of hands around it? I mean, what do you do to yeah, to manage it? Because I could see how very easily, like in a day, things are changing so fast. Like, how do you how do you manage that? Yeah, I tell people we are like a teenager going through, you know, like we've got the gangly arms and we're not quite adults, but we still have so much of this enthusiasm of youth and we want to preserve that and not overprocess it. So mm. I look for three things. And this is what we did around the team is what can we scale? And so looking for that repeatability is number one, like what has worked. And I think when you come in new, listening and understanding what has worked, wow, the community growth that has really worked. Leveraging influencers, that's really worked. Okay, great. How do we 10X that? So yeah, we've been going out and meeting one-on-one, but how do we do that in a more scalable fashion? And I can tell you lots of things we've done around that. There's a whole, um, and I think I've said this to you before because I really believe it. Most marketing teams were really good at running up and down the stairs faster. And what I told the CEO here and what I've told other CEOs is, look, I'm excited about what you're doing, but if you want a leader to come in and run up and down the stairs faster, I am not your person. If you want someone wow. to come in and build a high-speed elevator to the hundredth floor, the thousandth floor, I want to be your leader. Mm. And what does that mean when you start to look at how the team works and how do you balance? Scale means a few things. One means repeatable processes. Two, it means a consistency. And three, discipline, which you could say all three of those things stifle innovation, stifle experimentation. And I think, you know, every company is different, different, but finding the right balance, like I'll give you an example. We said, okay, we're, we're going to automate how we collect customer stories. We're going to have a template. I mean, this sounds really basic, but you know, every customer story, which is when you look at, you know, past future success, you want to tell a customer story. You want people to understand, well, this is what I use Mercedes. This is what Mercedes did. This is what Cartier did. Other companies can see the pattern. Well, we didn't have a template. Okay. So we're going to have a template. I mean, this is really simple example. Now consistency and repeatability. Well, okay. Consistency. Well, we found out in some cultures, and this is true. I think a lot of places in some cultures, they don't do their storytelling. So you can have a template, which everybody has. What was the problem? What was the solution? And what were the benefits? Okay. Well, A, that's really boring. How do we, how do we break the template in the appropriate places? And maybe it's with, let's start with the creative output and the creators and their users. So it's not about how did you know, car company use Unity, it's how did car company deliver an outstanding experience to their users. So being being open at the same time as having a template and driving for consistency across a team, but also being open to say, you know what, you're right. That's not a compelling way for us to tell our story. And so when you talk about like my my playbook and what did I have to change, like we've had to adjust because there are differences in our tech, in our business, in our customers and how they go to market. It's not just they used our solution and then they had five benefits and here's the savings and why it's so much better. Mm. No, 
another, you know, just another simple example, which I think this is uh, a function of, you know, teenagers just getting super excited is we don't, we didn't have a clear launch process. It's like every day, every day for my first 90 days. And it was such a blessing. People would knock on my door. Hey, Carol, come over here and look at this. Hey, we want to launch, we're going to launch this. Hey, look. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is that? What, why are we doing this? Who is the customer? Where's the value? And so we put process around that, but yeah, do we break it now and then because there's something so compelling or, you know, AI, the market's just taking off around AI and we want to get something out faster. Yeah. So Mm. I don't know that I answered your question. I mean, we look for where do we automate, where do we scale, where do we repeat? And at the same time, we're open to, hey, you know, we got to evolve it. I like it. I like how you said break break boring, you know, like look at things and like, how do you break boring and, and look at it in a different way? I would like to double click into, you said automating kind of how you got customer stories. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about that? That sounds really interesting. Well, you know how it works in in high growth companies. No one knows Unless you happen to see a wind wire, oh, look at that. LG is now a customer. Oh, look, we just, and where's that process where, okay, it went into Salesforce. Okay, it was a closed deal. Now it goes into a funnel. This is what I mean by automating. It goes into a funnel, whether it's Airtable or into Marketo or another Eloqua or any system you're using. And now we flagged it. Okay, it's not, they're not referenceable right away, but it's somebody keeping tabs. And it's a funnel just like- Mm lead, you know, acquiring leads. It's, it's a funnel. Okay. They're ready to tell this part of the story. And then a big piece of it too, that, you know, a lot of us, we forget to do is, okay, that was the beginning. Let's go back to the customer and finish telling the story after they've completed. Like a great example is Vancouver airport who they built a digital twin. We had a case study, but they've done so much over the past year. They, there were a lot of storms and bad weather, and they were doing more simulation around what's the impact of weather on security, on the flow in the airport, and using that to predict staffing and do we need to open another lane, et cetera. That kind of part of the story, like, let, let's go back and make sure. So automating that, having a, a system of record where we're keeping track someone's responsible and we're closing the loop to tell this story. And, you know, this is ongoing. It, it's somebody over in, I just found out in Japan. I mean, this, this is how it happens because it's not automated. Just found out in Japan, um, Unity is part of a reality TV show. <laughs> Somehow, oh, wow. you know, some serendipitous activity happened and they're like, yeah, we're going to, it was, it's a reality show and, and a guy is a game developer and he's going to show how he used the Unity Asset Store. I'm like, that's amazing. But integrated marketing at scale and speed means we have to know about everything. Otherwise, Mm. it becomes just a little blip, a little drop of water in the Sahara Desert. And we are trying to create oases, you know, for, for customers. You mentioned AI, which I, I knew it was going to get into, and I'm, I'm excited you did. I was I was waiting, you know, for the for at least you to bring it up or me to bring it up. So you brought it up, um, and so I, I want to know, I want to know just kind of your tell me about the beginning of your like your your personal experience with AI, kind of what you thought about it, and then take us into like right now, because look, right now, 
if anybody to me gets a seat at the table as a modern day CMO to talk about AI, it's Carol Carpenter. So talk about what the dance with AI has meant for you as, as an executive, maybe personally, professionally, what it's doing now, how that changes things for you in the marketing landscape in the coming years. Give us your kind of insight there and your experience. How much time do we have, Jeremy? We could talk <laughs> all day about this topic. Um, well, you know, I feel really fortunate. Um, I've worked at several companies where AI is, is, you know, a crown jewel, so to speak, and it's invested in like Google, for example, where... Mm-hmm. You know, part of the Google Cloud solutions that I worked on included AI and machine learning and a lot of the machine learning tools to help companies figure out like how to how to accelerate whatever they're doing to be more productive. And um, so I I have a great appreciation. And every day I realize how little I know. I remember at one point, Jeff Dean, who is like the godfather of DeepMind and 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 the brain of, of AI at Google, he and I were, we are, we were at an event together and I asked him, I said, how, how did you learn so much about this? Like, obviously, you know, you studied computer science, but really becoming an expert in this area. And he said, oh, no one is, you know, it's really, it's really just jumping into it, learning, being curious and, and staying on it. So I, like I said, I do, when you say, yeah, I'm the CMO for that. I don't know. Every day I, I put something into chat, chat GPT and it, it tells me how, how much I, I didn't know. Um, we are at an interesting point here in that we use a lot of machine learning already. We have been for many years. So on the grow side of our business, which is the ad tech side, I mean, ad tech machinery runs on data and models and we suck in lots of data. We help predict and drive better ad placements and monetization for companies, right? So we've long used it. On the creation side of our business, we have lots of tools, including, you know, I mentioned Weta. We also have um, a set of tools called Ziva, including something called Ziva Face Trainer, which if you think about digital humans and the thousands of computations to make your face, to digitize your face, have it move with the the skin and the the fluidity and the physics of your real movements it's an incredible computational exercise and mm. we use ai to simulate and you know and fill in the simulation of any digital human so we we've been using it in lots of places now where does it get pretty exciting where we think it gets exciting we have a vision our vision is the world is better with more creators in it and, I love that. And how do you get more creators? Because to be fair, our Unity tools today on the creation side are fairly sophisticated. They're professional tools like Photoshop is. They're professional tools. And if you're just a lay person and you say, gosh, you know, I'd like to create a scene in real-time 3D or I want to, you know, I want to create a game, a simple game. It's not simple. And so where we think, we think there are three areas where it could get AI can do a lot and we're working on it. One, it's a powerful tool to just get started, to be able to put into chat GPT or some other large language model that's trained on Unity to be able to say, I want a scene with snow-capped mountains and, and just to type that in and for the scene to be created in real-time 3D without programming. So there's making this more accessible to more people. Then there's productivity, which is 
yes, there are people who can code and who are great artists and who know how to create digital humans. But then if you could do it a hundred times faster because AI is helping you along, like I create the first three images of the scene and you go create a thousand more of them for me for my movie or my game. Mm-hmm. We think that's just a game changer, no pun intended, or maybe pun intended. <laughs> and, pun then, intended. and then the third area is around our inference engine. So mm. people use our tools, and then we have an inference engine that runs at, on more than 4 billion devices today. So everything wow. from your phone to a PlayStation to an Xbox to a PC that we we run across all these devices for responsive responsive experiences, to have very smooth experiences. And today, the Unity runtime is part of our code. And so what we've done is that we primarily look at the physics engine, the input system, the audio codecs, how you script and render. And we have a product that's coming out next month in beta that focuses on doing all of that immediately in real time. So without delays and and latency. So we're 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 really excited about that and we we think the combination of all that and I should mention sorry last but not least ecosystem. So there's a very large ecosystem of developers of third parties who create plugins and tools and we know we, we're not going to solve all the different use cases of ways that AI can help our developers be more productive. And so we're, we're really working hard on how do we enable our ecosystem to help support us. Wow. Have you noticed just until you mentioned the productivity piece uh, from kind of the marketing and comms folks, like have you noticed just productivity go through the roof in terms of what can be accomplished now? Um, have you seen that in real time with the folks that are on the marketing and comms teams just in general using AI now? Is that speed like very present in your world? It is. I, I think we're just getting started primarily around content. Mm-hmm. So for example, mm-hmm. we have our end user event conference. It's our big events called Unite. It's in November in Amsterdam. And the team was writing copy. And I'm like, oh, hey, let's just look at ChatGPT and see what how they would describe it. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, and for a first draft, it was hugely helpful and pretty darn good. And then, of course, you know, it needs a little bit of tweaking. So we found it really good for first drafts. Our SEO, search engine optimization team, they use jasper.ai okay, to yep. generate first page of copy for the landing pages. And again, the first first draft is pretty good. It needs some tweaking, so it's not perfect, but- Definitely, definitely enhancing. I'm sure you're seeing there's, you know, there's this kind of dividing line of AI, right? And some folks, even some of the old AI folks at Google are on one side saying, whoa, whoa, slow down, stop. And you've got another side saying, you know, embrace and move forward. So as a marketing leader, and and I'm sure, and I'd be curious to kind of what you're seeing from your perspective, but how do you... How do you ensure that the use of AI, like in the marketing efforts, aligns with ethical standards of unity? And as this thing gets just to be so fast and speedy, do you find yourself getting into those conversations? Do you feel pressure from kind of the outside of, okay, like this is a great tool. And how do we make sure we're keeping it aligned with the ethics of unity and the ethics of what we're trying to create? Oh, for sure. I mean, these models, these AI models are built upon data. 
And what data you put in is what answers you get out. Mm -hmm. And the data can be very biased. We all know this. We've seen all the great examples from all the testers of early testers of Bing and BARD and, and, and so on. We've done a few things. So one is we are careful and we have developed as unity our AI ethics and guidelines. And it's hinged upon making sure we are reducing bias as well as making sure our creators are fairly treated. So let me tell you a quick story, and, and you may already know this if, you're, if you've done any gaming at all. In the gaming community, it's highly acceptable to do something called modding. Like everybody mm-hmm, mods games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you look at all successful games, turns out 60 to 70% of them have something that is borrowed from some other previous game, whether it's an MMO or an RPG or a role-playing game, that there's something already borrowed. And so it's kind of accepted, okay? And at the same time, it takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to make a game. And how do you walk that line between, okay, yeah, we we want to encourage modding, and at the same time, we want to ensure that the original creator gets the credit. And so we're mm-hmm. being super careful about that, at least in our asset store and in the ways we're helping customers monetize. This is a great example where we want the original creators to also make sure that they're given the acknowledgement in some way, shape, or form. Now, artists have another issue. So when we look at our, here's a great example. We look at our our corpus of images from like Weta Weta, Weta Tools, which worked on Planet of the Apes, all these incredible movies. And so there's IP that is, and it's primarily characters that are owned. And we have to be really careful. Yet, is it okay, you know, there are scenes and sceneries and lots of images. Could we use that catalog for other things? Could we train on it? And then maybe, maybe so. And that's what, we don't have the answers yet. I don't have the clear answers. I know we want to be fair. We want to remove bias. And we want to mm-hmm. ensure that creators are given the, their fair acknowledgement. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a heady debate. It is a heady yeah. debate in the creative yes. community, as you know. And yeah. there are some lawsuits pending mm-hmm. that I think are going to help clarify at least whether it's not the rule of ethics, but the rule of the law will be clarified mm. soon. It's, it's going to be so interesting. I know we're all paying attention. It's going to be so interesting. Like the Getty um, Images case, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there'll be, and I think there'll be more and yeah, there'll be some landmark things that we'll see that will shape shape the direction potentially. And it's just, it's just a wild, wild west experience for so many right now too. You talked about influencer marketing. I want to just circle back to that a bit. How, how has Unity approached influencer marketing now in 2023? Maybe can you talk about some of the criteria the company uses now to select and partner with influencers? What does that look like now in 2023? Yeah, this is really unique, I think, uh, to what we do. So we look at different types of influencers. So there are, we segment our different businesses a little bit differently, but I'll talk primarily about gaming influencers for now. I think the industry influencers are a little more like your traditional B2B enterprise influencers. In gaming, in the game segment, games and entertainment, well, number one, they all have to be authentic. (laughs) Like, you know, this this goes for whether you're selling toothpaste or a (laughs) real-time reading engine. Uh, Authenticity, (laughs) like 
Mm-hmm. You can't fake it. You cannot mm-hmm. fake it. I know there are people who have tried, but you cannot fake it. Number two, they have to be totally engaged. And we have some influencers who have chosen to engage at different times and some, but we need engagement and we want them to be engaged. And three, we have developed a program around our different tiers of influencers, by the way. I call it the, the good, the bad, the ugly, which is we bring them in to tell us the good, the bad, and the ugly, usually pre-launch, pre-doing you know, doing things. And so making sure that we hear the hard, hard reality before uh, we, we go live with anything. Um, so we have in our community, we have indie game influencers and we have mid, I call them mid-tier and high-end AAA influencers and film influencers. They are incredible. Like the ones who on the indie side are probably the most, I mentioned them earlier, the most passionate. Mm-hmm. And so we have an insider program. We actually have two different programs. We have insiders. And then we have, this is something very different. Most of our employees are also what I would call, we call them champions, but they're really, they're also insiders. Mm. It's so interesting. And I I don't know if this is generational. I'm beginning to think it is because my kids are also doing this. Everybody has a side hustle. Mm. I don't know what the percentage is here at Unity, but probably, I don't know, I'm guessing 40, 50, 60% are probably building something in real-time 3D on the side. Like people who work here are the most passionate users of our product. And it's awesome because they identify issues. They give us feedback constantly. And that's a group that was kind of a, a newer group to me, like, oh, Oh, you're building a game on the side too. Oh, well, can, and it's awesome because like, I love music and like, I'm talking to, there's a guy over in engineering and I'm going to help him with the music for his game. And so like everybody has a, a little, a, a side project, which is great. So this, in, so I call those champ, we, ha, we call those champions. So we have an insider program, which is for the external world and then a champions program, which is equally as important is getting feedback from them. And then for mid-tier and enterprise customers on the entertainment game side, we we have influencer programs, but they're they're more the producers, the mid-level, they're they're not just people who are coding because they're giving us feedback on all different things. I would suspect that a lot of the employees certainly are like, just like, uh, I mean, the passion, I can almost, I can feel it like as you're sharing, I'm like, I can only imagine what's on the other side of the fence if you were inside of the unity, you know, inside of that team, because it's like, you can feel it like from the outside looking in, it's clear there's just incredible possibilities happening all over that organization. It's also kind of maddening. Like uh, I find out like (laughs) somebody just made a short clip, this animation, which by the way, it won a whole bunch of awards and this happened last year. I'm like, that is so beautiful. Like get, get your tissues ready. It is really beautiful. And it won a whole bunch. I, I, I'll, I'll, after this, I'll send you some examples. It's incredible how talented people are here. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. And it's literally going to keep getting better by the day, by the hour, depending on who you're who you're talking to. I know, and you talked about this a little bit, you know, you're you're serving outside of gaming, a lot of different, you know, your automotive and, and live entertainment and ag- architecture, engineering, construction, a lot of other segments that you're serving. And I'm curious about the, this modern day approach to ABM and account-based marketing. Has that changed a lot in kind of your perspective? You talk about how you're approaching ABM now and what that what's working, what's what's been interesting around ABM and the Unity offering? You know, I think 
we do uh, probably two things slightly differently than how I've approached ABM in the past. One is it's a much smaller segment of customers that we're going after. It's not that the TAM is smaller. It's mm-hmm. you get 18 of the top 20 automotive companies as we have, and the other 100 will follow. And that's true of all industries, but this is pretty unique in that when it comes to digital twins, you know, digital twin, just for those who don't know, it's a digital replica of a real world process thing, person, events, workflow. And that is pretty universal. But what, what we found is it's not your typical, oh, if I get my IT buyer at the top and you know the CIO or CTO, and then I get my users. This is more, frankly, it's a combination of the people who lean in at the exec level who need to be surrounded are chief innovation officers, CMOs for e-commerce, right? Who want to deliver an immersive experience to their customers, who they, they tend to be much more customer facing than what I would consider. And, and it's not that the ABM has changed. It's it, or that process has changed. It's the, the, the targeting of the appropriate, you know, who are the 10 people we really need to touch and, it's, it's different. It's different that way. And then the other thing that we have found, because it is an early market, digital twins have been around a very long time, more than 10 years, and there are lots of companies playing in different parts. But mm-hmm. what we've discovered is that because of what we do, which is much more around the visual fidelity, visual simulation, that where we focus is much more, our marketing is more on the it's less on like, okay, here's the solution and here's the technical infrastructure diagram. It's much more, here's the solution and let's do an imagination workshop because it's early. So it's much more about the imagining and helping and educating. It's much more like an early market. We're still doing a lot of education. So interesting. Okay. Can you, can you get into anything around the approach to product launches and how the company, like how Unity is generating just so much buzz and excitement around all these new releases? Like, can you talk about kind of what goes into that, the approaches there? Because it's clear that you really they're really great. Your, Unity is amazing at it. But what is the approach there to some of these new product launches and, and releases coming out? Oh, thank you for saying we're amazing at it because we we we're, we still believe it's a work in, in process. Oh. So there's... There's two things going on that are particularly challenging. One is we are constantly making updates to what we call our core engine. And I think like when I got here, there was a little bit of, oh yeah, that's our, that's our LTS release. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And like everybody already, because we do a very long, a very long alpha beta, but a very long preview where people, we, we talk about, this is another thing that's a little bit different. We show and talk about features that are coming in the core engine pretty far in advance. Like Mm. we, we've published our roadmap, you know, last year for this year and, and we're more or less, you know, close to it. So people know what's coming. So there was a little bit of this, like, oh, now it's GA. Do we really need to even talk like, yeah, everybody knows. But in fact, as you and I both know, 
companies say a lot. We say a lot, but you know, customers don't ingest all of it as much as we'd like or retain as much of it as we'd like. So there's always value in going back and saying, here's the functional economic and emotional value and why either you should upgrade or keep using this or buy this package. Like it's always worth reminding customers. And I, I think I think that's like a big, a big piece of what we've had to do is say, okay, every release we need to do an assessment. Is it tier one, tier two, tier three? And how do we reinforce the value that the customer is getting? Whether if they already know about it, great, but maybe what we need to do is show that case study, show it in real live action, show an amazing demo segment. Like that's, that's probably um, the biggest difference. The hardest part of revamping any kind of launch process, particularly at a company that is growing so fast, every, you know, everybody's like, oh, I've got something throw it over the wall, is training. And this is where we're still going through the change management of getting your product managers and your engineers to fall into a process. And this is where I, you know, marketing has to be empowered. The product marketing team has to be empowered to say, we we get to pull in assembly lines, you, you know, you get to pull the, the yellow cord when there's something not going right. They have to have that power to say, whoa, 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 time out. We're not going to launch this this in, in a month because of X, Y, and Z. So we've had to empower our product marketing team, and that's driving some of the change in the other groups. Mm. Mm. So awesome. So we're in the final 10 minutes, and we can. I'd like you to kind of take us home, and let's just talk about scale and growth and speed. I think that's just exciting. And um, so the question is, you know, can you... Tell us how Unity has managed to scale so rapidly. Any lessons the company has learned about growth and expansion along the way since you've been CMO? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, it sounds so basic. Um, a lot of it comes down to communication. And don't you find it ironic, Jeremy? I find it ironic. Like the, we have all these tools that are supposed to enhance communication. And all I think it does is distribute it <laughs> between mail and Slack and text and, you know, chatter and Salesforce. Like there are almost too many ways. And I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm kind of wishing for the old days when everybody was trying to create a universal inbox. Remember those old days, <laughs> yeah. which are gone because, uh. but we, there, it's a communication challenge. And so this sounds really basic and we're still working on this part, which is clear, decision-making. Our proclivity is to scrum, to align, to inform everyone, to hear from everybody, which you can do when you're smaller. You just can't do it. And you have to trade off. And this is a decision we've had to make. And we, I hope others are doing it too, which is sometimes you're going to get it wrong. So speed over accuracy. And, and everybody's got to, you know, dial where you are going to be. And in our marketing team, we have said, we're going to lean towards speed, less towards accuracy, being 70%, 80%. And, and there's always a good reason. There's always a good reason to say no, to pause. And you have to turn everybody's mindset into, okay, we're going to say yes at different gates, not like, yes, we're going to do everything, but at different gates. So you only get to say yes at three different mm. points, wow. right? 
whether it's at an inception of an idea and it's not just a product idea, it can be a campaign, it can be an idea to reorganize the team, but you cannot, you cannot have more than three gates, anything more than three gates and you'll be debating it forever. Wow. I love it. I, I also can, I noticed that throughout the conversation, you, you have this approach where you like, will pull like three things. You're like three things, three things, <laughs> three things. And so it, and it, it's, what's interesting, Carol, is the executives that have, been, have had the privilege of connecting with hundreds of CMOs in the Fortune 1000. And, and it's interesting to me that the ones that stick out, how they are able to navigate complexity so well and like bring, like bring the simple back of like simplicity is still attached to scale, to growth and scale. How do you get there faster? Well, let's get, how do we get, how do we get simpler? And then dancing with all the tools and tech. And like you said, the overwhelming fire hose of communications, yet you're still able to distill. Let's talk about these three. These are three. I mean, just it's, it's poignant. I remember you did this when we connected last time. And I think it's a testament to kind of how you think and how the world is moving so fast, yet we can still bring the balloon. We can still pull the balloon, pull the string down and get back to that. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, I try to come back to that. Like, you know, when people ask like, oh, what's your marketing strategy? Or, you know, you're grabbing coffee and the board members there, like, how is it going in marketing? How are you? And if you just say, oh yeah, I'm good. You know, it's a wasted opportunity and you want to mm -hmm. always to your team, to board members, to the outside world, to be able to say, okay, here are the three things we're focused on. It's mm, fantastic. Well, from me in behalf of our whole mission squad and our several million downloads and listeners out there, we say happy birthday to you, Carol Carpenter. Thanks for being on Marketing Trends. This was an epic conversation. Really appreciate you. Best of luck to you and the whole Unity team moving forward. I know me and like our whole production team, we're like paying close attention to Unity. So keep going. So honored and have a fantastic rest of your birthday. Thank you, Jeremy. It was a delight. 